are fueled by coffee production. My name is Ben Barrow and this is Bob Dylan Album by Album, a podcast that brings you an in-depth look at each Bob Dylan studio recording, record by record, except we are not doing that today. Um, let me get to that in just a second. First, though, a little bit of housekeeping. Um, I hope you're well and I hope uh, all is good with you and your family. We are in the middle of the uh, coronavirus pandemic at this time of record. Um, I say that because people listen to these um, sometimes months and years after they've come out. So it might sound a bit strange if I'm going on about what's happening right now and people don't understand. Um, but I hope you're well and I hope all is good and, and you're not going too stir crazy um, because of this current pandemic and this current bizarre situation, which is so strange. Um, I'm not 100% sure when we're going to put the next episode out after this because I no longer have access to um, the studio I usually record in. Um, I am now recording on my laptop in my bedroom with a microphone balanced on a laundry bin. <laughs> I've exchanged my six-figure multi-purpose studio for me, a laptop, a microphone and a laundry bin. It's not quite the same. Um, the reason why I'm telling you this is because um, I'm slowly setting up my home studio, so it should be there shortly, but um, there will be a slight delay on future episodes, so I can only apologise about that. And also I thought I'd better mention it because um, if you're a little bit of an audio geek like me, you'll be able to tell the uh, audio quality isn't quite as good on this bit of the podcast compared to the actual main bit, which was recorded in the proper studio um, last week. Um, so just do bear that in mind, and uh, I'll get the episodes out as soon as possible. Uh, this is also, as I mentioned, a slightly different episode. It's not concentrating on an album. Um, because I wanted to finish off this season of the podcast taking a look at Bob's Christian period, which is such a kind of fascinating period of, of this person's career. And, and, and it's, it's so unlike any other artist, which we've sort of come, become used to with Bob. Um, I wanted to finish the uh, season looking at that. Um, I thought it would be interesting to spend an episode looking at why he suddenly got involved with Christianity and, uh, and why he suddenly started releasing Christian music. I mean, there's no real definitive answer, I don't think. I, I don't think there's even a definitive answer from Bob himself. Um, but I thought it would be interesting to, to try and explore that question and to, and to try and work out just why we ended up with these three albums. Um, so we do that in this episode. This is kind of like the origin story, I guess. And then in the next couple of weeks, we'll be back on to the Christian albums that follow Slow Train Coming that we've already done. Uh, so I hope you enjoy those episodes, and I hope you enjoy this episode. On a chilly November night in 1978, Bob Dylan was in a Tuscan hotel room. It was a place where he would encounter something life-changing, a moment that would transform his career and his personal outlook. He experienced a vision of Jesus Christ. He would later say, Jesus did appear to me as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There was a presence in the room that couldn't have been anybody but Jesus. Jesus put his hand on me. It was a physical thing. I actually felt it. I felt it all over me. I felt my whole body tremble. The glory of the Lord knocked me down and picked me up. Although this whole incident might not have actually happened. There's conflicting reports as to whether this hotel room miracle is true or not. 
Just like religion itself, this period of Dylan's life and career is riddled with misinformation, myth and contradiction. What we do know, though, is in 1978, his previous album, Street Legal, had had a difficult reception in America. Charges of sexism and poor production and poor writing were thrown at the record. And whilst it's a more than competent album, the truth is I think people expected another phenomenal run of records like we had in the 60s after Blood on the Tracks came out. In reality, we were getting good albums, not next-level classics. Elsewhere in his life, Dylan's marriage was officially over and a feature film he'd written and directed was universally panned by critics. This all leads to Bob being susceptible to a new way of life and a new way of life is exactly what he found. I believe that at certain periods in people's existence it is necessary if not vital to bring about a change in your life so as not to go under, Dylan is quoted as saying. In 1978, he embarked on a year-long world tour. He performed 114 shows in Japan, the Far East, Europe and the US to a total of 2 million. Concerts in Tokyo in February and March were released on an often maligned live double album. The tour itself also got mixed reviews and was proving to be quite physically demanding. Apparently, Dylan played a gig in Montreal with a temperature of 105. As we heard in the last episode of this podcast, things came to a head on the 17th of November during an incident on stage. Dylan is quoted as saying, Towards the end of the show, someone out in the crowd knew I wasn't feeling too well. I think they could see that and they threw a silver cross on the stage. Now, usually I don't pick things up from the stage. Once in a while I do, sometimes I don't. But I looked down at that cross and I said to myself, I've got to pick that up. So I picked up the cross and I put it in my pocket and I brought it backstage and I brought it with me to the next town, which was out in Arizona. I was feeling even worse than I did in San Diego and I said, well, I need something tonight. And I didn't know what it was. I was used to all kinds of things. I said, I need something tonight that I didn't have before. And I looked in my pocket and I had that cross. Things would grow from there. In May the next year, Dylan would reference his religion in an official capacity. Patty Valentine had brought a defamation of character lawsuit against Dylan regarding the song Hurricane from the album Desire. He had mentioned her by name in a murder song and she wasn't too happy about it. Whilst giving a pre-trial deposition in his defence, Dylan was asked about his wealth. He said, you mean my treasure on earth? He then was asked about the identity of the fool in Hurricane and Dylan said the fool was, quote, whoever Satan gave power to, whoever was blind to the truth and living by his own truth. Five days later, Dylan's pre-trial statement was reported in the Washington Post and was broadcast to the world. It was also revealed in the article that Bob had joined the Vineyard Christian Fellowship. The Vineyard Fellowship, or Association of Vineyard Churches, as it's now known, was a small but fast-growing evangelical church that emphasised redemption over judgement. It was based in California and had been founded earlier in the decade. Bob had heard about the church through a girlfriend, but other people in his life had also converted to Christianity too. David Mansfield, for example, and T-Bone Burnett, both who were present on the Rolling Thunder Review Tour, were part of a growing list of musicians looking for something. Mansfield said of the fellowship, it represented a more joyous baptism of faith rather than any right-wing Bible-thumping. A big part of the fellowship is that church was music. Under the guidance of the fellowship, Dylan was asked to attend a course held at the Vineyard School of Discipleship. 
It would run for four days a week over the course of three months. At first, Bob said, there's no way I can devote three months to this. I've got to go back on the road soon. But as he says, I was sleeping one day and I just sat up in bed at seven in the morning and I was compelled to get dressed and to drive over to the Bible school. After the cross on tour incident and the swift introduction to the fellowship, you could be forgiven for thinking that this was an abrupt adoption of religion from Dylan. But actually, when you look at it, it wasn't. In reality, he's always had God on his side. In fact, you could go as far as to say the most consistent thing in Dylan's meandering career has been religion. In hindsight, it's no surprise that we would get a run of religious albums at one point. It's been draped over his music ever since it began, including on his first ever LP. And my heart stopped beating and my hands turned cold. And my heart stopped beating and my hands turned cold. Now I believe what the Bible told. As we've seen, this was still present years later on an album like John Wesley Harding, which during its 38-minute runtime had more than 60 biblical allusions. It's also there moving forward through Dylan's back catalogue as he talks of the God of creation. Father of green, father of wheat, father of cold and father of heat, father of air and father of trees who dwells in our hearts and our memories. Father of minutes, father of days. This continues right through to his more recent work as we hear an older Dylan still questioning the world and frequently looking at death. While it's not as overt as on an album like Slow Train Coming or Saved or Shot of Love, the Bible is still very much there. I've been walking 40 miles a bad road If the Bible is right, the world will explode I've been trying to Bob's private life as well is synonymous with religion. It's there at every turn. Dylan obviously comes from a Jewish heritage and a Jewish household. He could speak Hebrew knowing over 400 words, according to his father. In 1970, Scott Ross, a New York DJ and friend of Bob's, noted Dylan's increased interest in the subject of God. A 29-year-old Dylan and Ross attended an Eric Clapton concert together. Ross had recently converted to Christianity and Bob found himself with a lot of questions. Ross would say that a lot of their previous conversations were spacey and didn't really mean anything. But now with religion, he found he had more answers and a deeper understanding of the world. Bob was clearly intrigued by this and after the concert, he would take Ross to his New York apartment and give him a copy of his new album, which at the time was New Morning. He told Ross to, quote, listen to it, as there's a couple of things on there about God. Ross, who still has the copy today, said, and sure enough, there were. Looking back at this period and his later sway to the Christian side of things, Bob would say, there's really no difference between any of it, meaning the different religions. In my mind, they're all different streams from the same source. Some years later, Dylan would visit Israel in the summers of 1969 and 1970 with religion at the forefront of his mind. He took another trip, this time with his wife Sarah and their family for his 30th birthday, although he wanted to keep it private. However, a local record executive found out and took an ad out in the Jerusalem Post saying, Happy birthday, Bob Dylan, wherever you are. Call us if you feel like it. CBS Records, Israel. Dylan and Sarah visited Mount Zion on the trip. 
Clearly, this was becoming a more serious thing for Dylan, and it wouldn't be long before the whole world knew that Bob and religion were now hand in hand. Although it wasn't like Dylan was trying to hide anything. Bob himself made no secret of his religious leanings. On the same trip with Sarah on the 22nd of May 1971, when talking to one of the local rabbis and an American student, Dylan was asked why he avoided an overt proclamation of his Jewish identity. He replied, There's no problem. It touches my life, my poetry, in ways I cannot describe. Why should I declare something that seems so obvious? Two days later, on his birthday, Dylan visited the Western Wall in Jerusalem. He was photographed there with the resulting picture going round the world in days. Rolling Stone would dedicate a whole article to Dylan's religion. The headline read, Is Robert Zimmerman Really Jewish? The opening paragraph reads like this. The latest outpouring from the Dylan rumour machine concerns something which has been fairly well known to the youth community for quite a while, Dylan's Jewish identity. The newsmaking ingredient, however, is Dylan's alleged newfound Jewish pride. And according to current stories, Dylan's involvement with Judaism is taking an unusual shape. They were going to say he was considering using his Zimmerman name on forthcoming releases and is also buying a house in the Holy Land, perhaps even setting up there for good. The press hype machine had arrived, and by the end of 1971, Dylan and religion were out of the closet. Fast forward through the years and back to the end of the decade, and Dylan's life is different. He'd lost former staples of it, like his wife, for example. They divorced in 1977, and his touring had changed as well. He didn't go on the road from 1966 to 1974. Dylan had taken away a lot from his life, but he'd added something big, and that was religion. Now back to that tour of 1978, where the cross had been thrown on stage, Bob could be seen wearing the same silver cross in the final weeks of the tour. During performances of Tangled Up in Blue, the lyrics were replaced with explicit references to the Bible. Rather than having a mysterious lady from a topless bar quoting an Italian poet from the 13th century, she was now quoting from the Bible. He also began writing songs that would reflect his new spirituality. During sound checks in the final two weeks of the tour, he worked on a new song called Slow Train. At the final show in Hollywood, Florida, he would introduce a new song to the audience called Do Right to Me, Baby, Do Unto Others. In later shows, Dylan would reflect his new beliefs on stage. At one performance in the autumn of 1979, he said... You know we're living in the end times. The scriptures say in the last days man shall become lovers of their own selves, blasphemous, heavy and high-minded. Take a look at the Middle East. We're heading for war. I told you the times they are changing and they did. I said the answer was blowing in the wind and it was. I'm telling you now Jesus is back and he is. And there is no other way of salvation. Jesus is coming back to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem for a thousand years. By the next tour, starting in November 1979, Bob would only play his religious compositions, meaning nothing made the setlist from his previous albums. Dylan had found religion and he wanted everyone to know about it. And while the resulting album, Slow Train Coming, would be successful for him, could he sustain it over two more releases? That's something we look at next time. You have given everything to me what can I do for you?
Thank you for listening to this episode. There was a really great book I came across whilst um, writing the episode that you might be interested in if you want to know more about Bob and his spirituality. I'll put a link to it in the description for this episode. Also, there is links to our social media. You can talk about this episode on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, there's a link to my Buy Me A Coffee as well. Um, I know I'm always saying this every episode. It's like a like a broken record um but thank you so much for your donations there's been loads recently it's more than appreciated if you want to tip the show and buy me a coffee which i will be able to get at some point when we're allowed to leave our homes again uh then as i say there's a link in the uh, description of this episode and actually just on that if you have a uh, a freelancer in your life that you enjoy the work of then feel free to support them it's a difficult time for freelancers right now i mean i know they're obviously not the uh, most endangered group when it comes to this pandemic but loads of freelancers um, are struggling to work loads of freelancers struggling to make any money at all so if you regularly consume a podcast not this one i'm, I'm sort of okay because I, I can work from home i'm freelance um, in my day job but thankfully i've not lost any money because i can literally do uh, my job from my bedroom thanks to my uh, company who have been great but as i say most freelancers don't have that luxury at all so if you listen to a podcast regularly and they have a buy me a coffee page or a patreon uh, same goes for youtube same goes for a visual artist you might like the work of that you know is independent and also musicians as well loads and loads of musicians aren't able to go out gigging right now so if you um like independent musicians uh, then do consider supporting them uh, for example i've loved my mate's photography called chris um uh, for years and years and years and i saw a print of his the other day on uh, instagram and i bought it because um he's unable to leave the house he's currently on isolation uh, so do consider that if you have a freelancer that you enjoy the work of and uh, thank you on behalf of all the freelancers, which apparently I'm now spokesperson for. <laughs> uh, I'm going to stop rambling now. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'll be back next time with another look at another religious album from Bob. Next time round, it's the turn of Saved. Until then, thank you for listening once again and goodbye.